You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. How's it going, numbskulls? Welcome to the show. Now, I don't know if I've even used the nickname numbskull or not before, and certainly you can't expect me to go back and review 60-something episodes to find out. And I have no idea why I committed to doing a new nickname each and every week. Clearly a bad idea. Not to mention making and putting out a podcast every week. That, additionally, can be difficult from time to time. But we ain't never missed even one week. For you guys. In fact, lots of times we do two a week, and it's looking like we're getting so much support from our BC Club members that we're probably going to be able to maintain that and try to get two out every single week. So thank you guys in the BC Club. Now, if you want to try to make a little commitment like I have, why don't you go to badchristian.com forward slash contribute. Join the BC Club. It's less than a dollar an episode to get in there, and you'll get all kind of cool stuff. We'll appreciate it, and will help us moving on forward. Make more shows for free, doing the music and all. Yeah, the music. How about that? I almost forgot to tell you. Pacific Gold's pre-order is launched, and it's live, and they've got some cool vinyl, some great packages. Their new album, Sing My Welcome Home, will be the next BC Music release. Please go over to Pacific-Gold and look at it. Also, King's Kaleidoscope just made an unbelievable music video, like a really good, great-looking, amazing video. It's beautiful, in fact. It's for their song Dreams, one of my favorite ones on the album. And you can go to kingskaleidoscope.com and see it there. They put a bunch of time and effort and money into it just to give it away for you guys to view. So please, check that out. More good stuff, more free stuff. Pacific Gold Podcast, Sing My Welcome Home. There's two songs that you can hear on that podcast that are from their new album, which I've been listening to a bunch on my iTunes, along with the new Emory master that's done and the abandoned Kansas master that's done. And I really am proud that all this is coming out on BC Music this year. And it's because of all of you numbskulls supporting this idiot podcast. So I just wanted to say thanks. Let's hit it. Hey, Brenda High Helvita! So new, Norova! Suit me, big! Gamel Stotter! All right. Okay, now, Toby, what was that? What did you have going there? Well, I just, I, I hate the haters. <laughs> Can you hate the haters? Yeah, you know better the than them. Were you, no read, were you them. reading different ways of saying F you? No, I was reading different cuss words, and I just picked Danish. There's a, oh, It's called okay. insults.net, and they have it. So I, wanted, I said, burn in hell. Uh, I said, die already, you jackass. <laughs> and I, I think I said, what was the other? Oh, you old bastard. So what I think is if I wouldn't have told anybody that, they would have just laughed and thought. I could have said, hey, I was just, uh, I learned to speak in Danish, and I just said, uh, this is the bad Christian pocket, and everybody would have been fine with it. You see what I mean? So it's a cultural thing. That's well, why I was you, just trying you to- have to admit at this point, the people that are still hanging on here as our listeners, they actually don't have a problem with a cuss word thrown around here and there. I've, I'm very happy that we've carved out the audience that we do. It, first of all, it continues to grow, which is insane, and the people are cooler and cooler with it. So I don't know if we have to camp out on cussing and people getting mad about it but you whenever we get new listeners they sure do they sure do get an uproar about well, it well the hey. thing that bothers me is those our listeners are still our clam what? <laughs> hey, what uh, that means they're just disgustingly ugly there, 
Hey, there's a guy that I emailed back and forth with that, and his his approach was totally legit. He really wanted to understand. I want to ask you guys because I think how he worded it was just uh, pretty interesting. He said um, his daughter is going to a Christian school, this Christian teacher, and then he's listening to our podcast. He says, I don't want to imagine the Christian school teacher dude or the smiling worship leader telling anatomy jokes freely and publicly or making shit and fuck part of the average Christian's vernacular. I just don't get it. Where are you guys going with this? I love your banter, your worldview, your openness, but don't. I just don't get the ugliness. Why do you have to compartmentalize pulpit and podcast personas? You've mentioned on the show that it wouldn't be appropriate to speak the way you do from the pulpit, so why are you stooping down for the podcast? And he wraps up by saying, I don't write from an angle of condemnation or legalism because I definitely live in your world. I write as a dad with a little girl Mm -hmm. who is going to someday marry a man, and I'm wondering if I want that man to be a bad Christian. Yeah, I like the question. I I, I respect it. I I don't don't think that's bad from his point of view. I think I I I hear him wrestling maybe a little bit with it, and I'm I was saying, I don't always know if what what we do is right or wrong or good or bad, but I don't think it hinges on the selection of uh, the cuss words. I, to me, that do, to me that just doesn't register. Uh, and I heard right. you, Joey, on well, the, he's talking about the ugliness. He's yeah, talking about I, I understand. The I understand. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I, I, I'm totally right. calm to say I don't know. It's just I don't know. That's, I can say that, and yeah. I can rest in that a little bit. Now, I heard you on the Reform Pubcast last week, and I thought you did a tremendous job. And I thought it was cool because you didn't cuss on it because they asked you not to, and you made that apparent that they had asked you not to, which I thought was what made it great. Because then you spelled out A S S, and you said, you know, you spelled out the cuss words, and and it made it, it made me aware that their audience, and they said their audience is much more uptight and stuff like that. So all I can say is I'm glad, I'm kind of glad that we that our audience has allowed us to just to do what we feel like we want to try to do. So I'm I'm just glad about that. This is going to sound like uh, hating on the pubcast, and and Les and Tanner are great guys, so it's not this at all. But Toby and I, we, we were at a funeral today, and so we were at the wake last night. And on the way back from the wake last night, I was just like, here's what I don't understand is they didn't want me to cuss, which is fine, obviously, but that means that they're probably not going to ask any non-Christians to be on the show unless they're willing to say, hey, um, atheist, uh, radical, please don't say cuss words. But they also asked me if I was worried about um, how we talk on our podcast and whether we mislead people. And I was just trying to put those two things together. I was like, okay, they're asking if we're concerned about whether or not we're misleading our people. And yet we've got unbelievers listening and i think theirs is more of a christian audience which is fine but i i don't know i, I was just kind of confused by no, that whole i think thing. that's interesting like now i got two things on it one the point that i wish i would have been on there i would love to be on the show i'd love to do it in the future guys if you'd have me on i'd take a different approach than joey but i would have i would have enjoyed it um I, they said that they you know the culture has defined uh these words as cussing and bad. And the thing I just really felt like I wanted to add to that was, yeah, but that's saying the, the, the largest mainstreamest, biggest, broadest culture on the whole, as far as how, you know, broadcast culture that would be on a sitcom at 
5 p.m. are on the news, like the most bottom line broad. But on, on a smaller level, there's cultures like punk rock music culture. Cussing's fine. There's cultures like the dock workers. Cussing's fine. So this podcast is certainly a microculture. And so you can't say just because the largest, most broad culture defines something as bad, then therefore it is bad because, you know, we're taking in consideration smaller cultures, not just the largest ones. And then two... In general, I don't I can't tolerate the hypocritical point of view that says they don't like our language and the stuff we say. That's fine if we literally are the most vulgar thing that you listen to, then I'm okay with you taking a stand there and saying we're over the line. But you cannot be a breaking bad fan, watch the Sopranos and complain about us. You can't do that. You, just because you say we're Christian. That's what I'm saying. If you if you can consume it and listen to it and go watch rated R movies, then you can listen to this podcast without criticizing it. You can do that. Don't worry. Now, like I said, if you can't listen to any movies where they say shit, then yeah, maybe you should cr- criticize us and not listen to the podcast. But, you know, so don't be So you're saying hearing and hearing and saying is pretty much the same no, thing. No, I'm saying like don't, say, at least don't be hypocritical about what you consume from us versus what you consume from uh, HBO. But what if their argument is? Uh, what if their argument is you guys should know better though? Y'all are representing Christ. Well, I mean, if there was a Christian that was on a TV show, then he would be a hero. They would say, like, I mean, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Totally. Mel, Mel Mel Gibson walked on water, man. He was like, I mean, it's crazy how just the church flipped out. They were inviting him to Christian conferences. It's like Mel Gibson was like Joel Osteen. I mean, the the Trinity was Joel Osteen. Uh, Mel Gibson and um, <laughs> Rick Warren. I'm sure a lot of people don't like Mel Gibson I, after the stuff he's done. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Here, here's what I'm going to do. Toby, you look tired. Like, all of a sudden, it's like you hit a brick wall. I mean, no offense. Go that's, ahead. No, that's offense, but I go would, ahead. Yeah, it is, I'm very offended by what you just said. <laughs> Could you? Um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to cuss anymore. Whatever is classified as cussing. You know, filthy. Classified. <laughs> I'm not going to say it anymore, but I am going to take, this is the last time I'm, I'm going to cuss, I am going to take a shitload of, like, cholesterol medication and a shitload of, uh, you know, over-the-counter drugs that are okay to take. We don't get it. Okay, psycho. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm, I mean, you can, you can eat whatever the hell you want, as a Christian, and take medication to to fix it, yeah. not actually heal the problem, or you can, you know, all all these things that you can do legally within Christ, but it, you can't cuss. So I'm going to do the things that are legal, even though it doesn't change my heart, it doesn't change my mentality, it doesn't make me serve Christ any better. In fact, I'm not serving Christ as well, and I'm just going to, but I'm not going to cuss, and that way people will listen to our podcast more. Like, yeah, I'm going I'm to eat an entire pizza. And then I'm going to down antacid and <laughs> high cholesterol medication. All right. I get your point. Well taken. I really want to know, because I think you and I are on the same page. Ruby's 14 years old. Do you let her loose on the Bad Christian Podcast? Hey, Ruby, look at what. Uh, the, the, here's here's some. Epi- this is stuff with it. Uncle Matt, Uncle Joey, and, and your dad do. I'm not Check it uncle. out. Yeah, you um, are. Man, nobody's going to like my answer. Yes, it's the, it's the real world. Yeah, I, it's the real. What, I mean, I what, feel the same way. Honestly, I mean, I just I, I don't. The only reason I don't want my kids to say bad words and stuff like that is because they might get in trouble at school. So I'm, you know what I mean? Like only because of what other people think. 
not because of my kids. Right. If my kids and I lived in the middle of nowhere and there was no humans around for hundreds of miles, who cares what we say? To but that's kind of your way of respecting the culture. That's a respect thing. You're not just saying, oh, I care what no, other people I, think. You're, I actually think I just don't want my kids to get in trouble and then that's right. have to deal with it. So, so that's, that's what I right. think. I mean, I, I, just, I just don't think it's a big deal. And I, I just get so exhausted when I hear people just, like, focusing on just things. I mean, like, seriously, somebody would rather take the time to write us or question what we're doing as opposed to literally talking to their neighbor. I mean, seriously. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, the time it, it takes to... Uh, be upset about profanity. You know how many people you could have helped, <laughs> and so and, and my whole point is is we are actually welcoming people. There are people that are like, oh, well, I mean, we get just as many. Email, and, and now also, let me clarify. Sounds like I'm going on a rant. I understand what he's saying. <laughs> he has a daughter. He feels like he's a fan of what we do. And how does he introduce his daughter to that? I agree. But there are so many times, I, and I'm, I'm just going to be totally honest. I love it when I get my kids to fake cuss. Like my daughter, June, she's t not even two yet. And <laughs> I said, see it, like S-E-E-I-T. And the way she said it is shit. She says shit. <laughs> and, and it shit. makes me laugh so much, and I get so much enjoyment out of that. I have a videos of it. And I'm going to show her one day, and, she, and we're going to laugh together. Right. And I, I, just, I just think it's so funny that she's saying a cuss word, but she doesn't know it because the cuss word doesn't mean anything. There's no weight to it. Yeah. There's no weight to the cuss. The only person that has a weight to it is me. And the other kids in the classroom and the teacher yeah. and all that. So, I mean, yeah, I mean that's come a, on. Speaking of, like, mispronunciation and jumbling up your words, uh, the, Toby and I can be in any serious situation and have, like, a really honoring response to it. Like, for example, the wake last night. I mean, obviously, this is our friend's grandma. Uh, we're honoring the situation, the people there, and everything. You can say his name. We had a, a yeah, Michael, Michael. Schrecker. We had our our Charleston podcast live podcast. That yeah, it's it a garage Good and everything. His ours. grandma passed away, and it was you know great being around his family and everything. But it's just like you get Toby and I together, and it's like any situation, him and I can have the most bizarre jokes going back and forth and really laughing. So what happened was y'all are clowning at a funeral now. No, no, yes. we were, we were, no, we were, we Joey's were, here, Joey, no, 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 we weren't, we weren't even sitting together at the You don't want to cross the line. So we were in the lobby and, uh, I asked the guy, I said, Hey, can, is, is there a restroom? Where's the nearest restroom? And so he looks at me he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an older fella. Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in, uh, if you just go in that other room and it's, it's to the right of the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh the fish place. It's so, <laughs> so we go around the corner and there's an aquarium. He <laughs> couldn't remember it's the word aquarium. Fish place. So, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was like, Long John Silvers or Captain D's? What are we talking about? So here? the next five minutes, we're talking about like other things that he could have said. Like Toby's like, just like, you know that box with the water and those little floaty things? You know those in there? things that you float, that float underwater and you catch them and you eat them? And so that's where the bathroom's at. You know those scaly little bastards that are in the water? Matt, Toby was one virus away from doing a funeral today. I told him last night, my, my family's breaking out with the stomach flu, so we had to have a backup plan. And so I said, Toby, you know, I, I need you to come to the uh, funeral home with me tonight and get to know the family and all that stuff, because if I start getting sick, you've oh got to do gosh. the funeral. you got to be He's kidding like, me. Yeah. <laughs> Toby, did you intense, know? I mean, you, like he, you, you went to bed last night thinking you might have to do a funeral. 
Yeah, he yeah. texted oh me early in the God. morning saying, you healthy? Yeah. <laughs> I would have not slept funeral. a wink. I would have been devastated on that. That's horrible. You shouldn't have told. If that ever happens to me, don't tell me ahead of time. Just yeah. like you're on. I'm saying given what y'all do on a regular basis in front of hundreds and hundreds of people, <laughs> I would make a oh terrible gosh. off-color joke. I could never. I, mean, I, I can't imagine. I, I was literally, I was just like petrified when I started thinking about it. I would say something stupid like, Man, if she could sit up right now, she's probably going to sit up right now. If she could sit up, she would just say how much she loves y'all. And, so, and I would just say bizarre things. And you you are kind of completely unaware. It, yeah, it was for, for sure. That's terrifying. It just, it, I, I'm worried about what I'm going to say and do, and it, it would just be too intense. I promise you, I've never, like, prayed for Joey's health more. I promise you. I was, like, praying over you as a prayer warrior. All those things for sure. Did you get up in the middle of the night and go downstairs and get on your hands and knees? And <laughs> I, I took a picture of you and I laid hands on it. <laughs> but but also like Joey, we we do like us Joey and I being there together. We do make like it is like the jokes we make. Like when we were walking in, we were just questioning too. Like what if what would you do, man, if you went to a funeral? Like your grandma, right? So, so you're you know me, uh, man. Uh, I like hearing Toby stumble. I'm gonna not, I'm gonna let him hang. You know on that. You know that mom. Thanks mom. for letting. <laughs> that, thanks for letting. Yeah, I think she's a, she's a female that helped make your mom. What's Mimi. that called? Mimi. Mimi. I was thinking of Matt. See, you Mamma. got it. It's too many Mimi's, it. Mamas, Mamas. Uh, so say Mimi passes away, God forbid, and you're at the funeral, right? She sits up in the casket and it is wide awake, aware, and says. What's going on? What is, what's happening here, right? Like, you have to turn around and say, well, well I didn't expect this. Right, right, right. What's you didn't going on? It. So you're like, okay. And so you get her out of the casket. Everybody's kind of like super happy, right? You walk out the front door. She dies again. <laughs> <laughs> so like, she what, what do you do? What do you do in that moment? You just do you have to leave? go back in. Do you, do you wait for her to come back to life, or do you go, "This is it," and you bury it? What do you do? Uh, so yeah, you, that, <laughs> is that a case of like resurrection, or just like she wasn't quite dead? Or I what? don't know. She's alive. She, you thought she was dead. Now she's alive. And then you're like, okay, well, you know, you maybe have still to give alive. It some time. Let's let's go. Let's take her to the house. Let's go eat lunch. And then she dies right there. You're like, I don't. I, like, can you trust that she's dead? Can you trust that she's dead? <laughs> You'd have to give it time. You have to give it time. Think about it. You've already got everything paid for and set up. You got the funeral home for another six hours. I know. That's that's my point. So, like, if she died again, you just try to hustle, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, all right, let's everybody places everybody. Yeah. And then you bury her because when she's in the ground, that's it. You know, I mean, like, you just roll with it. So, Matt, what wasn't it? Some wasn't it possible back in the day? There were certain like heart conditions where someone slipped into a super deep coma. And people thought they were dead, but they were buried alive. Like it hasn't that happened before? That's not just in the movies, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's states your body can be in where you're. It's hard to. Well, I mean, essentially think about it, if you didn't have the technology of a EEG or the to measure brain waves or to take the pulse, and all you had was a finger pulse, maybe a stethoscope, and there was a very low pulse. I mean, people can be in really low states or comas in in ways that you might not be able to find a pulse. So just bad. Well, well bad my, judgment. that leads me to my next thing we talked about too is just the idea of Joe. He asked me, he said, do you think, because we were joking around about that, but like, do you still believe, Matt, that people can be, do you believe in documented evidence, if you'll call it that, that people have been brought back to life, say in the 19, you know, since 1900s, even like, you know, the 20th or 21st century, like people say, hey, who's brought back to life? You know, there's some, I have some news stories coming up about people being brought back to life. Do you believe that they were actually dead or do you believe it was just like the machinery was weak or do you, you do you believe that people can be be brought back from death? 
Well, I mean, you might not like my answer in the sense of the news stories or whatever. I, I mean, I guess the answer is very clear. Who the hell knows? I mean, either it was or it wasn't. There's no way to know. You're saying is it possible to be brought back? Well, the hypothermia people get brought no, back. No, my question is, do, does Matt believe people that are dead can be brought back to life today? Like, for example, there's a Christian uh, back, uh, I don't know, 100 years ago, Smith Wigglesworth. I don't know how long ago he lived. But he's definitely noted as someone who raised people from the dead. I mean, I've heard it. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know how to answer it because it's too vague of a question. First of all, there's miracles. So you know, if, if miracles can happen, then it, it could be anything. So I'm down with the possibility of miracles. And then in the, on the physical side, on the natural side, I mean, it seems more likely to me that you're not dead if you do come back to life. That will more point to the fact that you didn't actually die. That would be what I think. Now, I'm fine with a miracle. Naturally speaking, I don't think you can actually be dead and then be alive. I think that's kind of a euphemism to say, I was dead for four minutes. Well, I don't. I mean, it's not that easy to define what dead means. You can say, well, I had no pulse for four minutes, or my brain activity was low, but there was still some stuff fire. I mean, it, gets, it just kind of becomes very, very hard to define what's alive and what's dead at some point. So I don't have a yep. good answer on it. Hey, well, real quick, we may continue this conversation, but I want to quote Ryan Pickett from uh, a former football player of the best team of all time, the Green Bay Packers. He says, X3 Watch works. This simple monitoring software helps me and my family blocking all the sites on the Internet we don't want coming into our home. Uh, he's talking about our official sponsor of the Bad Christian Podcast, x3watch.com. If you go to x3watch.com forward slash bad Christian, you can get the premium subscription for half off. Basically, you get to decide who your online accountability is. You type in their email addresses, and then when you go to a website that you shouldn't be on because of pornographic material, they get emails. But as Ryan Pickett, former player of the Green Bay Packers, says it's also great for families who do not want trash coming into your home. Yeah, I love that aspect of it is the idea that you have these computers, these portals to the whole world. There's no limit to how serious of stuff that can be found on there. So you should take with great seriousness what you filter out about your kids and what the people in your household are able to access. Just It's just regular old security. I mean, there's just no telling. So I think that that element of X3 Watch, we always talk about us and trying not to look at pornography and stuff like that. But just think about protecting your kids from trash and bad things and and you know detrimental things online it's it's so worth the investment of just a few dollars a month to have that to have a peace of mind about that kind of thing so i think that's a overlooked aspect of it that we probably hadn't talked about enough but yes please everybody support our sponsor every possible house needs to have this that's just i'll go ahead and say that i don't say that about all of our sponsors that it's for everybody but this one really is this is for everybody go to x3watch.com forward slash bad christian and get half off and get it today you'll be safe and you'll thank us for it Okay, so I wanted to tell you guys about uh, taking Georgia to school. Like, we, and I know that sounds like the most insane thing in the world, but Bridget has been telling me about preschools and prep schools and all this stuff, and my reaction to that is no, there's just none of that. We don't, we're not even thinking about it. She says, waiting list, this, and this school. I'm like, we have to. And she was like six months ago, we got an argument about it. And she said, well, why don't you go talk to some other people about it and get some other stuff? I said, I don't even think anybody thinks about taking a two-year-old to a school or whatever. But come to find out, some people do. If y'all 
like everybody, including me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know why. It just doesn't seem like on my radar. It seems like an absurd, silly thing to me. Like you would think about uh, like the program, the education for a two-year-old at a school and a waiting list. Is that real? Yeah, I mean, Jess and I literally, it's funny you bring this up, just today decided, like, uh, root, uh, June, who will be two in March, we had to decide whether she was going to go. They either had two days or five days from 9 to 12, and so we had to make a decision today about what we were going to do. So, yeah, people are thinking about it for sure. Well, it's, I thought it was crazy. I was like, thought my wife's kind of being – after six months, I didn't get any good data on it. She goes, okay, we're going to an open house today. And I said, okay. So we go down to this uh, Magnolia Cooperative Preschool, which is in the Methodist oh, Church. That sounds disgusting. In, in that, uh, l- let me tell you. So it's in the, <laughs> it's in the uh, basement of a Methodist church in downtown – in the you know, village of Magnolia there. Uh, and so we go down there, and it's, it's crazy because I had the – I had the worst time ever in school. Not the worst time ever. I I didn't have the greatest time in the system, so to speak, in education from preschool all the way through college. Never got along with teachers. I don't know why either, because you're a lovely person. I understand that, but but it's it's unbelievable the amount of panic and upsetness and judgment I feel as soon as I walk into the place because it's like the Seattle serious it's like saturday night live characters of serious uppity moms that care about their kids and they're just so crazy you know like i don't even know how to describe it and then i go in there and i see and they're like okay and here's the people and then there's they show the pictures of all the teachers and this is miss gina and this is miss melrose and it's just i'm almost like my anxiety level goes crazy i'm like though i would like and you're supposed to go with the worst part is you're supposed to go with your kids to the place one of the days each week and i told bridge i was like you know that there's no possible way I can ever go down there because what that would mean is you have to go, you have to interact with the other kids and be with your kid and that kind of stuff. And that's a disaster for me because it is that situation where the parents, I mean, they're horrified by me and the way I act and parent. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if I take uh, Georgia to the swimming pool, the other parents, I mean, I, I just stick out like a sore thumb just because I just don't do things the normal way. And I know right. it's going to be terrible, but I'm so troubled by how, how, uh, crazy these people are with their kids as far as like they treat them like they're the center of the universe like they treat their kids like everything is the most serious the most and I think part of it's for show and they just treat their kid like everything's so important and everything's about them and it drives me crazy and the only thing that I can think is my philosophy is so much on the side of I think the best thing you can do for your kid is like ignore your kid and I really mean that seriously like I do not take the approach with Georgia whatsoever that it's all about her and this is an important thing and this I just think she should encounter life and adversity and figure it out like I let her play and fight with other kids for a long time before I would intervene I just it's fine with whatever happens it's not as safe it's not dangerous you know, she doesn't need to be corrected the second she starts to do something wrong or climb on something. I just let her do it. And I think that's good. Yeah, I disagree. I think um, I, I definitely think that you're you're pushing on something that needs to be push on, pushed on. But at a younger age, they definitely need more guidance and, and more nurturing more all right well don't don't hear the word don't hear the point i made and use the word ignore to mean neglect of course i'm making a point when i say that no 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 no. i knew that i knew that i'm sorry i i I knew that i'm just saying i think as a kid there does need to be way more hands-on i think the goal though is as they get older you're involved less and less and less to where eventually they are making pretty informed decisions and some of them are going to be bad decisions, just like I still make bad decisions. But I don't know. It's just, at, at I mean, it's heli- age, it's it seems he- like it's just helicopter city in there. Like, you know, I just, I just know, I think the way that they're 
parenting their kids is damaging to their kids. That's what I believe. I believe it makes them, you know, like overprotected and included to the most and everything's about them. I just, I just think that is not a good idea. I really, it's weird. So I mean, it challenged me a ton being in that thing and just the, the difference of the way most Seattle people are with me is, is like, you know, it's, it's very concrete and like noticeable. I don't think it's just Seattle people. I think it's, I think it's everybody. And I think we come across that too. I, I, I do believe that the goal of these parents and people are you have a kid and then you give it the best opportunity ever, right? That, that, that is the goal. But I agree with what you're saying is what it ends up doing is like, I, I, you know, I listen to tons of podcasts and just hear like people like my dad talking just like that. People didn't used to care. You're right. People did not care as much. Like you didn't have, I, I didn't have a car seat. After I was a, an infant, you know what yeah. I mean. Like not my point, toddler, by the way. You need a car seat. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> no, but my point is maybe you don't. I mean, I, I mean, I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. I'm yeah. alive. You do. I agree. You do need a car seat, and we have. Is everybody one. gets a trophy. There's no winner. There's no losers in t-ball. It's that kind of mentality. It's right. crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And like I try to. I, and sometimes I feel almost mean doing it, but like. Like for example, if if my daughter Ruby she fell the other day, oh no no Ike Ike bumped into her head and kind of hit her mouth and and I was just like Ruby, it's okay. I know it hurts. Yeah, it's just gonna be okay. And I think I, I think that's the thing is like if I could have gone to her and go, oh are you all right? Oh my gosh! But that does that's not real life. Nobody's gonna right. really do that for you. Yeah. And then you just end up thinking that you're screwed or you didn't get it. You nobody you know your life's sad because it's not easy. Yeah. Like it used to be. And I would have taken so that I, one so step farther and not done anything i would like i would have seen it i might have even felt uh empathy towards her for getting her face hurt a little bit but i would have made the decision to not even break my glance from the book i was reading it would have been my approach on purpose not not to be mean i broke my glance right but i also i would say at the same time yeah you you need to pay more attention to your daughter (laughs) (laughs) like you you and bridget were at our house for super bowl right and your daughter, I mean, y'all did not watch her at all. And I just, it was like, I mean, I was like, wow, this is, I mean, they're, they're full on. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> like, there's one point, there's one point where you had a knife and Georgia got like super hot uh, peppers all over her hand. You were chopping peppers and she got peppers on her hand and Brid- you were like, Bridget, you got to do something. And Bridget didn't even get up. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I, I went and watched Georgia's hand the next minute. Georgia walks out and has my wife's toothbrush in her mouth, and it's walking around like that. And I was like, I wish the Carters would watch their daughter a little. I mean, we're, at, I mean, I get it, but every all the other parents are like, oh, hey, come here, hey, no, 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 you know, like that. I never heard once the Carters go, no, don't, hey, come here. No, that never happened once. So I do think. That maybe the parents that you're railing against might be good at some things that you aren't. No, I I agree with that. Like the guy, the let me give you an example. The guy, as soon as the tour was done, they said any questions. This guy raised his says, "I have a question." He goes, "What is the affiliation of the church that this is in with this school?" And then the lady pauses, she, and she looked as dead serious as he she could at him because she understood the seriousness of this question here in Seattle, and and he she looked at him and said absolutely none they are simply our landlords and everybody went okay and then we continued the tour because <laughs> if the church is involved in the preschool that would be the wor- that would have been the worst thing at all and then uh, one more illustration on Seattle people I did I am involved with my daughter so I'm glad I get to make this point I got up yesterday with her 
and took her to Starbucks, just her and I. So I went down there and sat, and we're sitting oh. in Star. Well, I did take the dog too, so I walked the dog and parked him outside. So I get Georgia up, put she's in her PJ, she's got her toy, and she's sitting there, and I get her something to drink and me a drink. She sits across from me. I'm just trying to play the role of being, you know, a nice, good dad like I always hear people talking about, and it was fun. And it, she's the cutest thing in the world, you know. It's just it's a sweet-looking thing, and there's a lady sitting over beside me. She just keeps looking, and she just keeps looking, and uh, she, <clears throat> I have the latte sitting there, and eventually she just she comes up to me, and she says, excuse me, I just had to tell you, that is just the most adorable beagle in the world out there. Is that your dog? <laughs> <laughs> and then she talked to me for five minutes about dogs and beagles. So that's, that's my culture, if that gives you a little illustration. So, yeah. It's <laughs> hey, I, I will say this, and I, I, I mean, I, I'm kind of going past her here, so I'm sorry, but I, I want this to be an encouragement for parents that listen. Somebody told me this in the, in the past two years, and it really has changed the way I think as a parent, because I think when you have a kid, you love them so much and you're just like thinking all the time, man, I could easily screw this kid up man. I've got to be a perfect parent. I can't make mistakes. I don't want this kid to be a product of my mishaps and all that sort of thing. And uh, I had a, a leader at our church, you know, older guy say, why? Like, why do you want the kid to see like a perfect parent? Like what? what good is that going to do? And in no way was he encouraging lackadaisical parenting and not caring. I like saying, the sound of that. I mean, yeah, he, he's just like, in, in your house, if your kid is never seeing mistakes and does, you know, in other words, what's, what's the benefit of growing up with two perfect parents that just never make mistakes, never Absolutely. raise their voice when they shouldn't and all that stuff. And then they're in the r real world and they're like, man, people really suck. And yeah. Uh, that was super encouraging to me. I man, like that. I love I, that because that's what I'm saying. I'm a fan, to put it more concisely, of being calm and uh, and cool-headed in and with adversity. I mean, adversity's seeing an example of that mistake, but that includes making mistakes and bad stuff is not your fault. To see cool-headed and dealing with that regularly is good. So I don't. I think shield the shielding mentality is the one that's scary on both of those ends. All right, guys, how about we bring on our guests? But also with that comes our sponsors. And, guys, you know what? We are killing it with sponsorships. Yeah, I mean, awesome. it is it awesome. Really is I cool. mean, we are getting more and more sponsors. And Do you uh, think that makes pe some people don't like it or something? Are you saying that to apologize? I, I, I don't know if they do, but, I mean, there are a lot of expenses to what we do. And so to get help doing that and the fact that our listeners uh, – are responding like I mean uh, several of the sponsors that we've had they, people are purchasing things and I, I think it's just I actually love it I, I think it's great I mean we're a re we're a real podcast we're a real entertainment I don't know podcast yeah. that's what I just said yeah but, I'm, I mean, th I'm but, thrilled about but, it I, yeah. I think it's just a, a super big home run that we're able to you know get into that territory and have it so I appreciate the sponsors and I'm glad everybody's happy from what I can tell a lot of people are like just are happy for us that things are going well and so thank you to everybody out there things are going well so you know, here we go. We're going to take a quick break, have a couple sponsors, and we'll be right back with the long-awaited Dustin Kinsrew interview. Let's check out a track from Tooth & Nail Records' newest signing, We Are the City. This song's called King David, and it's from their new album, Violent. Now you're thinking about me. You should be thinking about God. I'm afraid I'll go to hell. David, am I going to of myself when I should think of you instead 
David by We Are The City. The brand new record, Violent, comes out on March 24th on Tooth & Nail Records. They also directed and produced an independent film called Violent that is premiered at the Toronto Film Festival. They'll be on tour throughout 2015, so make sure you check out toothandnail.com for dates. And uh, I actually like this band a lot. They have a bunch of videos. They, their videos are really cool. They have them for a bunch of songs, so yeah. Check them out. We are the city. All right, let's check out another track from Wild Earth. This is the title track from their new record, Orchestrate. That was Orchestrate by Wild Earth. Go pick up their brand new album for free at comeandlive.com forward slash albums forward slash orchestrate. You can also keep up with them on facebook.com forward slash wild earth music. Do not miss out on this band. So thrice kicks ass, man. Right on. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. I I was telling Matt on the way up here, I was asking questions about thrice because I... Uh, listened a lot to one of the albums. I think, Matt, you said that was the biggest one, maybe? No, or I not? don't think Visu is the biggest one, but that's the one that you listen to the most. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. so it's the biggest one for me. The biggest one for Joey. <laughs> what, album, what album of Thrice sold the most, Dustin? Uh, I'm pretty sure that would be Artists in the Ambulance. Yeah. It was just kind of, it was before a lot of the music industry mm-hmm. tanked and before it kind of started rebirthing itself as something else. Um, and it was, yeah, just kind of the, the time that was happening. So I don't know. I don't know any numbers on any of that stuff, except I, I'm sure that one's more than the others. Well, my wife and I saw during the Artist and Ambulance when it first came out with, it was Coheed, Cambria, and then you guys, and then Thursday at the Showbox in Seattle. You remember that one? I do, yeah. That It was incredible. I think it was like the, the best time possible for music because all these bands in our scene we're, we're getting big and going into the mainstream but it was still uh like the show box is a great size so it was like the biggest you can be and still be in what you would consider a club with an amazing tour with three bands like that that were totally blowing up at the time and uh it was it was a 
tremendous show. Did, did you do you like that? Was that a really good tour that you guys were on? Was that like a landmark one for you guys, or how did you feel in the middle of that success, that that blast off right there? Uh, it was a lot of mixed feelings because it was like we we're uh, trying to figure out how much of this I should actually <laughs> talk about. Uh, it was it was a rough tour in, in certain ways because Island kind of squished us into being on that that tour. They never really interfered with our creative stuff but they had signed us on thursday and you know we were both this up-and-coming thing th is in our name apparently i don't know <laughs> that was the key but, we blew it <laughs> and uh they're like you guys have a to tour together we're like, oh yeah cool i mean we we knew those guys a little bit and liked them and trying to work out all the details of how that tour would actually work was really hard because it we were basically being forced to do it but then didn't have any kind of like uh way to say like hey we're not comfortable with this so we're just going to do our own thing, you know? So it, it created a bunch of tension um, that is all, you I mean, water under the bridge at this point. But it, at the time, it was um, it was hard because we, we did do and did love those guys. But also there was all this kind of background craziness going on that was a bummer. That um, happens so much more than people realize. I mean, that's happened to us, too, where there's a band that we're going to go out with and details in the music business and just labels and and I guess just when the business side gets in people don't see that behind the scenes all they see is I'm going to buy a ticket and I'm going to go see this band rock out but they don't realize the other 23 hours of the day that you're hanging out with these people and also you know having to deal with all the business side so that that really does happen a ton and uh, I mean so you guys you, you kind of knew them but it was just it was just something you had to do so it, so from Matt, like from Matt's point of view, wow, what a kick-ass tour! Yeah, I thought it was just a killer show. Was that the largest tour you've done at that point, as far as the sizes? I don't know. Probably, probably the largest one. We were kind of co-headlining, and I think that was probably at that point the largest shows we'd done in some kind of headline fashion. But um, yeah, I mean, I just want to reiterate, like those guys are rad. We love them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, totally. We totally. But it it yeah. just and and really like. I don't know. I feel like that was one of the harder things we had to deal with. And and it wasn't I think the problem was because it wasn't like band to band being like, hey, let's work this out. It was like all these other people behind the scenes, like management and the label, like just weird, weird stuff going on. So So was it just my personal experience or do you think this was the case with many people? Like I heard of Thrice way before I heard of Dustin, the lead singer, as a Christian. Like, did you guys really pull off being in the market without any Christian label at all? Or it was, is that just probably my experience? Or was that even a goal of your band to be Christian? No, not everyone in the band is, has ever been Christian. Um, I don't know where I've, how much I've talked about this before, but I, I had wanted to start a Christian band when I was really young. I was right before thrice and i was like yeah i want, I want to have a christian band and were you in a youth group growing up and all that stuff and wanted to yeah, be the yeah. youth group <laughs> youth group guy um i just it was very good intentions but uh i think very wrong thinking about a lot of that stuff and um not wrong in a moral sense i think just wrong in a wisdom sense um yeah so i think by the grace of god i wasn't able to go down that path and ended up just having a band and learned as I went like it's very powerful and helpful to just be honest about where you're at about you know what you think about what you care about um and so I've I think been able to to create a, a cool space with the Thrice fans where people want to engage in these bigger questions that a lot of times are, are kind of taboo and divide people 
but generally I've seen it actually bring people closer um, in relation to people uh, who are fans of the band and um, a lot of people who totally disagree with the things that I would believe in but appreciate the way that I've gone about talking about it. I appreciate the conversation. So I think it's been really, really cool um, and, and something that I, I really value about the experience that it's been to do thrice. Well, you band. did a good job professionally as far as making your band thrice be an incredible, well-known band for the merits on its own and what it is. And so it was much later because I was paying attention most of the whole time. And it was much later that, that I found out or somebody said, or the rumor is, Oh, Dustin's actually a Christian. That's so cool. And so that actually helped you probably at that point without having to be something that you were trying to sell or use to get a leg up initially. So I think that that's really good. And you, if you take something like uh, your song, staring at the sun which is one i like the lyrics on that uh they really do carry and have a profound spiritual meaning and context but it's also something that people that don't share your exact uh set of principles and faith and exact stuff totally can relate to and so i think that that's the thing about music is that everybody takes from it what they want to take from it and what you didn't do is you know force stuff down people's throats or make it so obvious that they have to just take it the one way yeah i think I think that applies to uh, more than just music in a, in a broad sense of um, it comes down to how you look at who you are as a human, um, what you believe. So if I believe, well, the reality is that something is true about all of us, you know, what what we actually are, are if we're here for a reason, what that reason is. Like there's something that's true there or there's nothing true at all and, and truth has no meaning. But it's not like there are just multiple truths that, that comp, uh, conflict each other that are all true. And so everyone has to believe that like we have a common set of, we have common experience as humans. We, we, all, we all experience the world in, in at least very similar ways. And that means that when I talk about something, uh, when I make art about something, there should be a bunch of points of connection that that someone, even if they don't believe everything I'm saying, that they can say, okay, I see that. And I think a lot of times Christians can get to a point where they, they forget that and uh, and they just, they're kind of cordoned off in a lot of ways, um, both in, in what they say and what they uh, take in and, and um, how they engage with the rest of the world. Uh, and so I think that mindset ends up creating a lot of bad, quote unquote, Christian art that can't really connect with anyone outside of uh, the Christian faith. And I don't think generally it's very helpful for people inside the Christian faith. Well, you've walked that line really well. I just think that you've done a great job of creating art for art's sake and also communicating how you, from your point of view, which I think is the, is the most important thing about art uh, is what you're communicating that is from your perspective. Cause that, that's really what it is. It's not about being broad. It's about being specific and uh, you've done that. I just want to let you know, I think you've done a great job of that. How did the other guys, like, I, I, I mean, it, it seemed more clear to me, like, uh, a, at least, I would say, at least a, a spirit, some sort of spiritual message. And I, I, I would take that, obviously, since we know you're a Christian, to be about God. But on Behisu, it definitely was coming up more and more clearly uh, about your faith and just talking about it. And, and in a very poetic, great way that is accessible to anybody listening to the song, you, you can rock out to the song. But how... It, saying you know you were saying that your bandmates uh weren't necessarily christians were they cool in supporting that could they pick up on it or were you just badass at writing lyrics they're like well we can't do anything anyway <laughs> there have been like little points in time where it's it's been a, a tension on like a certain song here or there and we've changed a couple of things i think for the most part um they've been 
fine with it. They understand like that the lyrics are a huge part of the band and they don't want to, they don't want to squash kind of what I'm feeling or trying to process. I actually just apologized to those guys recently just saying like, Hey, I feel, I really tried to do a good job with this stuff. And, um, I feel like sometimes I, I, I was too on the nose with it. So I, I'm sorry about that. And, and I think I, I tried to be really open about hearing from them, but I, I feel like I'm in a different spot now with, um, even some of my understandings of it. And I think sometimes even my defensiveness came more from, uh, how hard it is for me to write lyrics. Like I spend a lot of time on it. So like to try to change something when I've, I've kind of come to a spot, uh, is hard, but in the end, like getting challenged is always going to make something better. Anyway, it's been, it's been good in general. So, <laughs> well, I come from the, from the way, from the point of view of your band on that. So I appreciate you hearing you say that whenever Toby finishes lyrics and then something that doesn't work about or doesn't fit the song or whatever, but he spent so much time on it. He's a, kind of brick wall about that half the time so i always i wish he would change this one little word here this thing or make that verse one shorter and he doesn't want to do it so i, I hear i hear what you're saying there i accept your apology on toby's behalf <laughs> <laughs> well well here's the thing that i that is frustrating is when you don't write lyrics it's super easy to change them yeah you know what i mean like it's the easiest thing in the world to go to somebody that wrote all these lyrics and are trying is trying to convey a message for an entire song potentially an entire album and then just to change it it's not as easy because you sit with it and you and when you sing that the rest of the time or when you do that, like it's so funny. Like, I mean, there's tons of little things that I change when when I record, but it'll always I still just remember it a certain way and want it to be a certain way. And then when we sing it, I end up lots of times singing it the way I originally did it. I mean, live. But it is hard for people to understand that that don't write lyrics as much because I mean, your ideas are great and valid. And I think that's what Dustin's saying. But it is hard when you're wrapped up in man, I want to just say something and and you have to your whole job is to say something in the song and you're doing it. And then somebody's like, Yeah, but don't do that. <laughs> so You know what I mean? So that's tough. Where did you and your bandmates uh, meet and start playing music together? I mean, y'all apparently didn't meet like at your youth group. I mean, so did y'all just start playing music together in college or what? Uh, I was in high school still, and Ed and Ed and Tepe were friends from. Uh, I knew Tepe from school, and Ed through skateboarding, and uh, Riley was Eddie's brother. So he was. I mean, at that point, a lot older than us. Uh, you know, I was seventeen, and he was like twenty-three or something, and. So that was a big difference that at that age. Um, and so it was more of like a temporary, like, hey, my brother, he'd play drums for us till we found someone, you know, and uh, it just just worked out. So Dustin Thrice is getting back together or doing a reunion or what, tell, give us the details on that. That's what we wanted to have you on here to talk about. What's, what's new with Thrice? Well, one thing to be clear about just for my own sake is that Thrice never, Thrice never disbanded. I tried to be super clear about it. like this is a, an actual hiatus, and everyone's like, "Why are you guys like? Why'd you why'd you break up the band?" It's just like it's like no, I I like I started the whole the whole announcement with like we are not breaking up. <laughs> <laughs> what year was that? How long has it been? I don't know, three and a half years maybe. I mean, we announced it before it actually happened because we did that last tour. But um, I love love making music with those guys, playing shows with those guys, and uh never intended to just leave it forever so i'm excited to we're gonna be at the least playing some shows this year and i i don't think i'll say well we will keep people tuned into it but you guys are going to do shows this year yeah great hey and their best bet to keep up with those uh sorts of news stuff um would be what dustinkindrew.com or what 
it's pretty easy to find thrice stuff on the in, on the internet. I don't think anybody have a shortage of being able to find it. So Dustin, we have a ton, ton, ton in common from the genre of music. Uh, that we do that's uh, the relative times that we've started we have I can't even imagine how many friends we have in common and uh, Toby you and I have hung out a, a little bit and ironically even all been at the same church at the same time working hard professionally volunteer and all even doing worship music after doing screamo and hardcore whatever it is we've been doing and we, st- we all wind up in the, in the same city doing the same thing so um that and that's Mars Hill, obviously, I'm talking about. And so now none of us are, are there anymore, and we're all gone on and doing different things. And I'm curious what, what, uh, let me set this up for you. I'd say, first of all, when you left, you wrote a letter that's public, so I won't make you go into any of that stuff. But that, I think you did write a letter that was public, and it's out there, I think, if anybody wants to find it. I appreciated that when you did that, I'll just say. But what we'd like to talk about is what do we think about the church moving forward? Have you, since last time we were in, in the same system, do you have different thoughts about the church or mega churches or where things are going? Like in a broad sense, then like I'd uh, love to know specific, but I'm I'm giving you a, a soft even, out even there. In, a, in a simple sense of what what are you going to do for you and your family? I mean, like what what what's church going to look like? Yeah, I've had a fair amount of people ask me just like, are you how are you doing with do you not trust like the church now? I think that comes down to kind of your view of that the larger church and understanding even what it is like. It's made up of a bunch of sinners. So there's going to be little problems. There's going to be big problems. And uh, in the end, if we believe that the kind of large C church is, is the bride of Christ, uh, whom he uh, died to, uh, to save and cleanse. And uh, then it's all right that like we see like, yeah, like we, we were in need of a savior and we still are in need of savior and individually and collectively. And so I, I don't have um, any distrust of, of organized church just because it's broken. Um, I, I, I know that it's broken. It's going to be broken anywhere. And just because there were things that were more evidently broken and more publicly broken at, at Mars Hill, it doesn't, it doesn't really single it out in, in certain ways. So I'm, as far as where I'm at, I'm uh, at a smaller church down here because uh, I moved back to California. So I'm at a smaller church called The Village to be uh, clear, you d- haven't talked about Mars Hill other than that letter that you wrote publicly. Am I wrong about that? Um, yeah, I haven't said anything since I sent that resignation letter. I understand somewhat why I was uh, going after the other letter had leaked. Well, I can't imagine your point of view from that because I had n- a very minor role compared to what your role was in, in the church. And the amount of people that ask me about it all the time is, is tremendous. Do you get people bugging you all the time about it? Asking what's the deal, tell them some inside stuff, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think most people are a little bit careful not to dig in too much, just feeling like they don't want to be nosy. Um, well, you have more polite friends and fans than I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know everybody asks us, how shitty is Mark Driscoll? I bet he sure was shitty when you tell me about him. That's all we get. <laughs> So you're at a small church now. Is that is that uh, is that an intentional move away from the, the larger mega church? Or is it time for a change of scenery? What do you think there? Man, I don't know. Uh, it's just where we felt comfortable uh, coming back down here. We we went to a couple of places, and my buddy Nick is is down here as a church. And uh, Nick Bagardis, that is right. Nick Bagardis, yeah. yeah. Uh, he used to manage thrice. So they have a church, Cross of Christ, that's awesome. Um, and we probably would end up there, but we're 
homeschooling right now and uh, my oldest would be like the oldest kid there and there's not a ton of kids there yet and with homeschooling I wanted her to have more opportunities to be around uh, kids her age and stuff so uh, yeah end up in the village I'm actually leading worship this week for the first time since I left Mars Hill so is that in Orange County in Irvine in Irvine yeah and so you're leading worship this week is the first time you've done it since you left Mars Hill this is this is true what are you gonna do different? Same stuff, same songs, different attitude. <laughs> I'm serious. Like what? What? Like how? Going into that, it's obviously been a long time. Do you have any different thoughts on how to lead worship? I learned a ton being a Marcel, and in things that I think are really helpful to do, things that I think are not helpful to do. Um, so I, I'm just kind of taking that with me, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think for perspective, like there's a ton of stuff that I just coming out of that that I I have different eyes for. For seeing and caring about uh, just the way things are, are perceived, especially by someone maybe new coming into a, a situation. Like, Could you be more specific about that? Because I mean, you know, a lot of people yeah, look like, to you for for that kind of you know notions and um, ideas. So I'd say something that Marcel did really well was just having an eye to an eye for and and also a care for uh, for details in uh, and uh, the bigger the room that you get in, just psychologically, what starts happening is the sloppier certain things are, uh, it makes people actually feel uncomfortable. And so I think they understood that uh, pretty well. And the problem was that got cared about too much uh, at times. And, and it led to a kind of a, a culture of, of performance where excellence was, was valued over and against other things. And But at the same time, I feel like I have eyes to see kind of walk into a room like, oh, hey, when, when we said this in the welcome, like if I was new, it would have made me feel like this. I just, uh, there's a kind of a sharpness that I, I think I grew in. I mean, I, I'm kind of analytical anyway, but just being in that environment, I think was was helpful for that to where, I don't know, I guess I would encourage people at, at smaller churches, especially like have someone come in from outside your church and just kind of as a favor or whatever, hire someone, I don't know, and, and audit you and just be like, hey, like, what did you notice? Like, what, just because you start being unable to see things that are familiar to you. So I think if more people did that, they they would be shocked at how much stuff they'd be like, oh man, I never even thought of that. Uh, I think that's key. In fact, uh, I mean, we kind of had that built in, um, the, the church that I pastor, we hired Toby uh, as our worship leader, and he had just come from being at Mars Hill. And it's it's crazy because not, not only, you know, our church definitely takes the Sunday morning deal pretty serious, but I would say way more lax than Mars Hill. But then on, add on top of that, and I'm way more relaxed than the typical Seacoast pastor. I mean, Toby came into just a Sunday morning environment where he was like freaking out on over, over every single detail. And I was just like, dude, I, I think it's going to be okay, man. Like <laughs> everything's all right. And Toby would make a mistake. And I mean, he, Toby and I, we've, I mean, we've been down since day one, super good friends. He'd come up to me after service, be like, dude, I'm so sorry. Man, I'm so sorry I, I, that there was this word misspelled, man. I mean, I, 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 it will never happen again. I'm looking at him like, I'm, <laughs> like he's that bad. I'm, I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. I'm exaggerating but, a little bit, but it was a healthy thing for our campus at the time. I mean, Toby brought a very healthy perspective of, oh, we got to get a little bit better, guys. And then I think Toby would say, too, that he acquired from us a little more relaxation and just that Sunday morning isn't the end-all, be-all. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's hard to grow without getting, you know, pushed back and forth on things. Like you, That's how you end up, I think, finding out 
what actually works well and what's helpful. But yeah, I think it's great. That's totally what I, I feel like I've experienced and been trying to make sure like, man, am I just totally <laughs> broken? I don't want to bring all my weird brokenness <laughs> with me and it's like everybody's like i heard about dustin kentry but dude's kind of freaking he's me jaded out. man he's <laughs> jaded and golly he's grizzled so, so it goes without saying then i mean because i i you know obviously being close friends with matt i mean we've had these conversations but i mean you, it's a hurtful experience no matter what i mean uh, as far as just the time and energy you invested in mars hill and then having to part ways with that i mean that hurts no matter what yeah that's it's rough i mean and for Toby kind of experienced similar stuff, but just huge life changes, like moving families. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing for me. Um, and, and I'm, I'm exactly the same way, man. I promise you, I learned so much at Mars Hill. I became a different man at Mars Hill. The leadership was great. Everything was great about it. And then there, honestly, just to be totally, totally honest, I've said this before, there was just something I couldn't put my finger on. And then I, I left well before, you know, the shit hit the fan, I guess. But, um, and, but I would still say it was great. I mean, I, I, I mean, just like you said, every single church you go to has something in, in the closet or something going on because we're all human and every church is run by humans. I know that Jesus is our head pastor, but at the same time, the work that we do uh, is fallible for sure and the things that we can do. So what's crazy about it is it was something for me that was just like I couldn't put my finger on it. And it I had to also not only as a job and a career and doing all that, but also I was leading my family and I wanted to do something right for them. And so when we left, ours was more about we were going to have a baby and uh, we just felt like something just wasn't right being there. And, and at the time I was just like, well, the Lord's just calling us away and that's what it'll be. And in retrospect, I think that's a blessing. I mean, it really, it really is. But at the same time, there is some sadness there. Like, damn it, something amazing was happening. And, you know, uh, like, especially in Seattle where so much shit was talked about Mars Hill with, like, you know, the city papers and the stranger and all that stuff. And then you're like, oh, now they just get to say, well, we were right. But they weren't, and they're not. But it's just, you know, it's just frustrating. It, that that's, that's the thing that bugs me the most is not only was it great and good for me, I also can see the bad in it, and I also can – have feelings of like sadness like well, damn it i didn't want that i didn't want that to go away nobody did i agree i think that i think that it's very easy to just make a caricature of all of it and it it completely misses the reality that there was just a lot a lot a lot of good that was was happening there um man some of the just the craziest group of amazing people that i think were squandered in a lot of ways to not not be let go to, to lead in, in various ways. And that that's one of the hard things for me looking back, like, man, this guy and this guy and this guy, like these all these people I've just like have so much respect for and just seeing kind of all of their gifts uh, squandered. Is, squandered is a good word for that. And that's the way I feel. But it's been a really hurtful or hard time for my family in leaving. But we've been there. I've been going there for 10 years. And, yeah, I think there's probably – 50 or 80 men that I learned a ton from and respected and looked up to massively, uh, Mark Driscoll being one of them. And then by the end of that, you know, 79 of those had left or been, you know, whatever, whatever reason they left. And most of it was slow and quiet and over time. But the collection of people that were there, well, it was just unbelievably amazing. And then squandered is exactly the word of how they were scattered and you know, I'm sure that everybody, all those men are being used in other ways, but it, it's a, it's definitely a loss for me. That's the way I feel it. Yeah, I think it's one of the bigger lessons to learn from that whole thing um, that maybe a lot of people aren't as, it's not as easy for people outside of it to see maybe, but a huge problem 
then this is like widespread. So I don't feel like I'm talking about one person or anything, but there was a, a culture that had been built up of, it wasn't a, a real leadership culture of empowering others to, to do things. It was a, a leadership of, of kind of control and making sure that nothing was out of place or out of line. And um, what was crazy was just, you know, I was, I was kind of reading and listening to various leadership gurus, whatever at the time, because uh, like Simon Sinek or uh, David Marquette, or, and, and all these guys really get, even though they're not, I don't know about Marquette, but Sinek's definitely not coming from Christian worldview. But what he's describing is basically servant leadership that would be modeled on the way that Jesus led and empowered um, people. And uh, and just seeing that, like, okay, these guys, this guy who doesn't believe at all what I believe, he gets it because this is, like what I said earlier, like, we all have one reality. So this is the way people actually function. This is the way we're actually made. Um, and seeing guys like that get it and be and just nothing like that happening at Mars Hill was, was really hard. Um, and I think for people who are in any kind of leadership position, just learning about that stuff, learning about what it means to actually empower people that you're, that you're leading rather than, um, kind of putting all of the the weight on yourself which sucks anyway yeah that's a big thing to empower other people as opposed to control them or use them kind of a thing yeah yeah it seems like that's what jesus did uh immediately right from the get-go was was that way uh as we're talking here about mars hill time one uh, story popped into my head of something else we have in common that I totally forgot about. And I, I never got, I left, I, I never got a chance. I scheduled so busy while I was up in Seattle and I never got a chance to talk to you about this. But when you moved up to uh, come up to Bellevue to be the worship leader at the Bellevue campus, Emery's first drummer, Seth, tried out for you right <laughs> and yeah you, I, but you didn't you didn't ask me or you you, you know you just said pro, i think this, the way the story goes and you might can correct me if i'm wrong was that you were just oh well he was in emory so man he, he's got to be a good he was in a band that signed and so, sold a bunch of records and stuff so he's probably gonna be pretty good but if you would have just called me i would say well, yeah i mean we love seth <laughs> but but he's not that great and i think i remember hearing a story of like you played with him or something and maybe gave him a shot and then like after the first service everybody was like yeah that drummer he has to he has to go <laughs> <laughs> no it's seth and melanie yeah who, seth and melanie who are, friends, who are friends with dustin and that's a horrible thing to say i know about your, <laughs> i don't even well, know I wanna, if we can put that I, well, on i want to know but, if it's for, folklore or true did was, that really happen do you remember that dustin he chose to keep melanie and ditch seth yeah, yeah. is that what you did <laughs> Seth hadn't played in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are horrible, man. No, it, it was Lord. no, honestly, that that was really like more of a um, a case of like I think not not the good um, things that that happened to Mars Hill, where uh, it was like it was so so big time. It was like everything's got to be perfect. That it's like you know. Give it, give it a second, you know. Um, so I think it, it probably would have been fine, but I, I had only so much uh, freedom to make certain <laughs> calls. Right, that's what I was going to end with. That that's kind of a thing where they. I mean, I, that same thing happened to me, where like I, I'd play songs and then I would somebody would come up to me and say, "Hey, we got to change this immediately, or this isn't working." And also, just so you know, I mean, Seth didn't. Melanie really wanted to be in a band. Yeah, he was just being supportive. Yeah, Seth was just trying to be supportive, so it was actually like a great thing. It kind of really worked out for you. No, totally. I agree. And, and I mean, the reason I didn't actually try to work harder to pull him into it was it seemed hard to have a, a husband and wife both be on the same team, like with kids. So Totally. 
So now that you you've gone and you are now at a small church, and uh, it seems like I know you don't want to give away too many details, but Thrice is back together. Is that the only thing? Are you taking Modern Post with you? Like, is are you full on? I'm doing music now exclusively, uh, or what's your goals now? Doing music. Um, the thing that's happening right now, most currently, is that uh, I just finished recording a uh, another full length solo record. That's basically a follow up to please come home from 2007 um and it's coming out april 21st i'll be touring a little bit around that so i'm really excited about that recorded it myself uh learned a ton doing that and it it actually sounds <laughs> really good um and i i uh yeah surprised myself that i was able to do it but i kind of just tried to bite the bullet and go for it and so that's coming out april 21st dustin what's the name of your new record uh, the the record is called uh, Carry the Fire, which a lot of people keep asking about if it's a reference to uh, the, the road, which it it is uh, in some ways. It's Cormac McCarthy book, and he, he also includes that phrase in the very end of uh, No Country for Old Men. Um, it's a little more prominent in in the road, but I really like the uh, the image. Um, and he doesn't get super specific at all about what what that represents but um in some sense it's it, it seems to be holding to 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 goodness uh, or beauty or truth uh, light in the middle of uh, of darkness and i think it's something that our it seems like culture at large is really wrestling with right now in pop culture which is cool um see shows like uh, uh walking dead where there's a huge theme in that show about uh, what does it look like to hold on to, to humanity to some form of of goodness and morality in the midst of uh, you know in this case a zombie apocalypse but but anything where where kind of the external uh, rules of society break down um, what does that leave you with um, and uh, so I'm really intrigued by that that question and so the record deals a fair amount with that but from kind of a variety of angles and um, a lot of contrasts. Um, the different images there, but I'm really excited about it. I'm I'm stoked for it to come out. I hate that you have to wait after you make something. How what does it sound like instrumentation and texture wise? What's the feel of it? Yeah, so it's you know in in terms of it's kind of following up. Please come home because the the first kind of normal uh, solo record I've done since then, but it it's a bit uh, more full band oriented. Um, not quite as as stripped down uh and it's a lot more varied in texture so there's you know stuff on there that's kind of pretty beautiful kind of folk song or something and then there's a song that could almost be a thrice song probably there's a you know songs that are kind of sound like 60s pop thing going on so it's it's pretty pretty all over the place but i, I think in the end it, it all works together pretty well great well we look forward to it yeah, that's that's cool. That uh, so I, I guess obviously you are a Cormac McCarthy fan, huh? Yeah, um, I dig his stuff. Uh, I I especially would recommend people listening to The Road on audiobook. That's exactly um, what I did. I listened to it on a cross country trip. It was it's oh my god, it's a really good reading of it, and it the way that it's written, it's a bit confusing to actually physically read it. I read it first, and then I saw part of the movie, and the movie just wasn't doing it for me, and then. Uh, the audiobook, I think, is is the way to go because uh, he's obviously kind of 
prepared as he reads it and, and reads a little bit in voices between the, the dad and the son. And, uh, it makes, it makes it flow really well because there's, there's not a lot of extra words. It's a lot of dialogue and, um, it's it's cool it's almost like a like a little one-man play or something yeah it's great and also it made me i was so happy because it made me feel it let me realize my intelligence level because some of the words that mccarthy uses are just unbelievable like in a row just like huge you know ten dollar hundred dollar words or whatever but but that's that's cool I, i love that idea of carrying the fire too i mean that I don't know why as an author he's influenced me so much too, but like even even No Country for Old Men, that's like my favorite movie. Just the idea of that, just I, I love the characters, the the clash of good and evil, and what it actually is in a real space. You know, like it, it is almost like a supernatural evil, but also a real man. And so, and then the Coen Brothers, I think, did a great job on that um, movie for sure too. So that's cool to know. Yeah, I think I think his writing is just so visual that. Uh, and the dialogue is already kind of there that I think they handled it really well. I think the reason that the road didn't work as well partially is just there's bits missing. Like, so the road is a bunch of dialogue and then it's these little snippets that are just gorgeous, um, poetic writing about this apocalypse. And it's, uh, it's missing those things. Are you, are you self-releasing that? Are you on a label? What are you doing with that? Uh, it'll be on Vagrant. It, that's what I'm asking too. Is are you cr- trying to do music full time as a career from here forward? Is that your intention? Yes. So a couple of uh, grown ass man questions. You have kids? I do. I got three little girls. Dang. Eight, almost five, and three and a half. That's pretty cool, right there. Why? Um, why the homeschool thing? Uh, we did it because we were moving, and we didn't want to. We weren't sure where we were going to land uh, semi-long-term down here again. And we didn't want to pull uh, our oldest in and out of another school. And so we decided to go for it, which we never really thought we would do. Um, we really dug it. I don't think we're going to do it next year um, because we're going to be somewhere with a really great school district. And we've liked doing public school as well. I, I really see a lot of pros and cons to, to both sides of that. But what was cool is... In Seattle, a lot of people homeschooled, and they were really chill about it. Um, we hadn't seen that as much in SoCal. It's like, I think a lot of people who homeschooled down here, at least that we knew, were like ultra conservative uh, Christians, and their kids would turn out all weird. And uh, and I think the the reason I I've realized is like, oh, the reason the kids are turning out weird is because the parents are being weird and totally not engaging culture either. And so it's it's less about like you can't homeschool your kid. It's like, if you do, like you actually as an adult have to be engaging with your culture and helping your children to do that. Well, um, and we, so we've really dug it. I, I love teaching her. Like I'll do it certain days. And, um, I feel like you're able to teach them a ton and have really cool conversations, but it's also, uh, super time consuming and which can be hard in different seasons. So I don't know. It's been a cool, cool learning experience. So are you thinking you can do music full time? And I, I know you're not the hugest fan of being obviously away from your family. Do you have any, are you thinking of doing a lot of traveling or not a lot of traveling for the next, you know, set of years? Trying to figure out how to, how to approach it freshly and figure out, all right, how, how do I break this up more in a way that's sustainable and healthy for my family? So I think part of it's just realizing to do that, you've got to eat a uh, certain cost and you know, it's, it's more expensive to break a tour in half because you've got like 
off days in between. You got to fly crew back around. Um, yeah, mobilizing a tour is the expensive thing. Yeah, and so I think that's why we never did any of that before. It's like, oh man, it's going to be way more. Or, or you know, trying to bring family out. You got there's expenses there. So, but I, I think just realizing, like, okay, I'm going to do this, and I want it to be healthy and sustainable. It's going to cost more. I mean, it's like it costs more to get. Uh, you know, food that doesn't have a bunch of chemicals on it, you know, like there's, there's a cost to, to doing something, I think the right way sometimes. So just trying to be realistic about that and, and figure that out. So definitely don't have it all nailed down, but that's my intention. Yeah, that's exactly what we do. We do. We, we basically don't stay out at the most two and a half weeks, something just like that. Just under you know? three weeks. And yeah. that, that does also a lot of times then mean you're headlining more, but it really works for us. And with our family and stuff like that. But my, my daughter, she's just in preschool now. My oldest is only five. But I thought the same thing of just like eating the cost and see if they could just come with me. Maybe I just buy my own RV. or It, it sounds crazy when you think about all that stuff. But, man, seeing my family also is so refreshing. Like even being gone those two weeks sometimes is just like it. it's almost like even subtle. Like I, I don't even realize that when I come back, I mean, my kids are – happy and I do get I get to see them a lot and my you know the church that we go to is great and they you know I get back they're they're cool with me working from home for a few days or whatever but it is I, I totally agree I think it's worth it and, and and then I think the band probably totally agrees with you too hey man it, we're gonna make this concession uh for Dustin because we get to go out on the road and this is exciting for us and we get to do it this way so I think that that probably works out yeah it's not just me either like I mean Tepe's got got kids and the same concerns with all right, if we're going to play some shows, like, how do we approach this? Is Tepe in Washington? I heard that, but I didn't hear anything about it since. Has he moved to an island in Washington? Yeah, he's he's out there in the woods on an island making leather. That's crazy. I heard that he moved nice. out there, but I've never heard anything since or seen him or had heard anybody running into him or anything. So he's <laughs> that's his point. Yeah, he's he's more of a hermit than I am, which is <laughs> saying quite a bit. <laughs> So since you guys are going to be back out on the road, and obviously it sounds like your your family might even be coming with you and kids and stuff like that, do you hope that they end up being like uh, screaming, singing rock stars? I do not hope that. I do <laughs> not hope it. I want my daughter to be a robotic engineer. So I'm going to push push her into that. But you, know, you don't have any ideas of what you want your daughters to do? No. Um, it's just fun getting to watch their their little minds grow and – just see what they're into and uh yeah i think i wouldn't even mind if my daughter you want to be a screamo no (laughs) but i I don't care if she wants to be a singer or not like that i mean i guess i used to would say no and i i mean honestly having two daughters and one boy i think uh I, i am even selfishly so more protective of my daughter for some reason i mean my boy my boy can smash his skull and i just pick him up (laughs) hug him for one second but my girls are our girls and i've you know, I'm the guy, I feel like that responsibility to protect them. So I do want to protect them, but I mean, I, I, I would be okay if they became an actor or actress or, you know, s- something in the entertainment industry. I, I think, I, I hope that they're learning enough to, to handle it the right way. That's all you have to do. And then you, then you have a career and longevity and all that stuff. But I mean, I, I don't know if I, how do you, there's no way you can't push them some way. Yeah. I mean, like Dustin, there's no way that your kids could come out on tour and, and see their dad in front of thousands of people and be so excited and the music's rocking on stuff and that not influence them. Right. Yeah. But I mean, they're get You got to see they're and get influenced multiple ways. Like they're also, they're also seeing, I don't like when my dad's gone, you know, like they're also seeing like, I'm just saying, I don't have 
not that I don't influence them in what I invest into them, but it's a lot more subtle than I think actually consciously wanting them to do X, Y, or Z. So, I mean, like with Sailor, like I'll, I mean, I'm sure that I've influenced her a ton because I'm nerdy about learning stuff about everything. And so when she was the only kid, you know, in the beginning, I would just hung out with her a ton and would just teach her a ton of stuff. And so she's kind of brainy, but I think part of that's like, uh, you know, just her nature as well. So it's, you, know, you never know because the next one comes out and you're like, you realize like, oh, it's a completely different kid. Like, doesn't matter what what I do or don't do. Like, there's there's something different going on here for sure. So, well, Dustin, we're gonna have a lot of uh, super tickled fans, man, that you came on here. We certainly enjoyed it. I know all of our listeners are very much so gonna be happy to hear from you. Yeah, were you comfortable talking to us on the show today? I think you. I think you warmed up nicely. <laughs> What, is, what, is, what does that say about how I started? <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, I just am really appreciative that you just talked a ton of shit about Mark Driscoll and, and announced your world tour on here. So that was awesome, dude. Thank you. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah, you guys check out, uh, what is it, thrice.com? What is, just what's the type website? up yeah. thrice in Google. Type, You'll type be fine. Type in the word thrice, and you will find out what's going on. Check them out. They're going to be coming out. At least playing a few shows. And yeah, pay attention more. to all Dustin's so. stuff. So everything Dustin does in the future, I want everybody to understand. You heard what he's talking about. He's supporting his family. He wants to make music full time. And I selfishly hope that he continues to do that and gets to do that. So I will, and I hope everybody else will, support all the things that he does with Thrice and on his own. So Dustin, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys. Cheers. All right, the much-requested interview of Dustin Kinsler. We finally got him. Very good. Awesome. Woo! Great stuff. Thanks, Dustin. i tell you what. We loosened that dude up. (laughs) (laughs) Least of These has a brand-new record out called Mere Image. Let's check out a song right now called Watermark. You let Noah be the first to show. Baptize the earth to let your love grow And then your death return Bringing with it your evidence You said the same for what your spirit That was Watermark from Least of These. You can find that song on their brand new record, Mirror Image, which is out on Pando Records. Head over to wearelot.com. That's wearelot.com to keep up with them and pick their new record up on iTunes today. All right, guys. It's that time 
of our podcast. Is it that time of the month for it, you, Toby? It, it's that time of the of the it's day. To, yeah, it's Toby's. It's the news cycle. It's not like it's it's similar to a menstrual cycle, and in, in that there's good p- parts. Come on, man. There's good parts and bad parts to it. Yes, but it's that time Come of on, the man. episode. I don't think for Toby. anybody thinks there's good parts of the menstrual. <laughs> cycle. Oh, you mean the the miracle of conception isn't a good part? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> but I'm I'm saying the innuendo here is that a woman's period. Well, the menstrual cycle includes that, but that's the whole cycle. You're right. Anyway, all right, let's do right, that. You're news. right. All right, guys. This come. I I thought this one was uh, close to Joey's heart um, because I've seen him do this when he preaches. Okay. Um, kindergarten teacher Jennifer Rich charged after drinking beer in class. <laughs> 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 this comes from the Huffington Post. This is interesting to me, and I I have. Uh, some comments on this news uh, segment. Well, this, I'm glad you do, post- man. It would be Toby a really bad news let me, let, me just, let me just read it. Let me just read he it. He has comments, folks. Taking the edge off with a few beers after work is one thing, but drinking beer at school when you teach a group of kindergartners is illegal. A kindergarten teacher in Acony, Iowa, faces public intoxication and child endangerment charges after cops say they caught her pounding beers at school. <laughs> That's a little bit of exaggeration. Let me keep reading. According to the Des Moines Register, Jennifer Rich, 40, resigned from East Elementary School on Monday following a bizarre incident, um, and she'd been working there since 2001. A parent went to the school Friday afternoon to help with a Valentine's Day party and called police after she saw a bleary-eyed Rich with an open can of beer in her classroom. (laughs) When cops came, they gave the kindergarten teacher a preliminary breathalyzer and determined she was under the influence. They searched her leather carry bag and found two empty beer cans and four unopened ones, which means she had a six-pack. An an officer said she had watery uh, bloodshot eyes. Cops took Rich down to the police station, and a substitute was put in charge of the party. of the uh, the party and the class, and the substitute will finish the teaching for the rest of the school year. Well, gone. What do you guys think about that? Do you want me to chime in first on my own news? It's I, just I have something I want to say. It's just super super unprofessional. But I, I'm going to tell you guys something that I may have never told y'all before. When I worked at Applebee's, so oh, this is no. when I was like 20. I don't know, 21 years old, 22. I don't know what I was thinking, but I I just you, uh, this was in the heyday of my depression. And uh, someone, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Are we not in the glad that's in the past? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Woo. <laughs> so, so anyway, I'm at Applebee's and someone orders wine, and I go to the bar to pick it up. Uh, it turns out to be the wrong wine, so I go back uh, to the bar, and basically, I just skip the bar and I take the wine, I put it in a sippy cup. And a lot of the employees, they like drink Coke out of sippy cups oh and stuff, and I drink Lord. wine out of the sippy cup. Get, like, what was I thinking? No, they plastered? didn't know. I would have got, no, I didn't get plastered. It's a really nerd story. You drank some wine out of a sippy cup and didn't even get <laughs> drunk? Oh, no. <laughs> what? Why would you think that that's jo- like- Joey once drank wine at the bar he worked at. <laughs> I was working. I was on the job. So One same time, as this teacher. The communal bread didn't go all the way down. I took an extra <laughs> sip of the wine from the communal bread. <laughs> I mean, I'm crazy. I thought it I thought hey, I would have gotten fired. What are you talking about? I totally wouldn't gotten fired. So anyway, you had like two sips of wine out of a sippy cup. All, all I can say I, is I'm I, moving on. Back to my point. <laughs> you've lost me. 
Here's the thing. So she obviously had a six pack of beer, right, with her. My question, Matt, and I, I'm I'm going to you because Joey's going to disagree. How many times has every parent of at that school had two beers and one open and we've been watching their kids and it's been successful? Awesome parent and all that stuff. So I just think like this is a little bit blown up. She had a six pack. She brought it to school. I think it's wrong. Don't get me wrong. I don't want anybody watching my daughter drinking chugging a six pack. But I have drank off of a six-pack before and, and watched my daughter and my kids. Well, you know, it happens to me all the time. Like, Bridget will come home, and I'm stumbling around, blurry-eyed, re- bloodshot, barely able <laughs> ba- barely able to contain myself. And she says, Matt, you're on your second beer? Because <laughs> when I get halfway through that second beer, once I hit 19 ounces of beer, I am gone. So, you know. All right, I want to ask a real question. And, and, and this is just a – I mean, Jesus is the hero, and we are not – Joey, have you and Priscilla ever had... I may not answer this question. Have you and, uh, be, let me start with Matt. Then. Matt, have you and Bridget ever been watching Georgia and had more than two and a half drinks? Of course. I'm, yeah, I'm making the point, the joke that one and a half is not even a big... Two is nothing, is what I'm saying. No, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah for sure, Joey, I've had more than I that. Would, me, definitely. Priscilla usually stops at two glasses of wine because it's just too much for her. Notice he said usually. No, mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. I think Me, that sure. this is a situation where it seems more blown up than it is. I don't think that this lady was... It is a damn job, Toby. It's unprofessional. If you see her one time drinking two beers, that's not an isolated thing she did on a Wednesday. So you know there's a deep problem in the, in, in the lady. She has to drink to do her job. But my, my whole point was I think that people that would condemn her and go how terrible she is have probably watched their kids and drank more than what she drank. All right. All right. We got um, another one? Please tell me there's another story. Y'all want it? Please. Y'all I need want another, another one? one? I do. I need one. I don't want one. I need it. Yeah, I don't want one, and I don't need it. Um, I, I kind of want to read this one. This isn't really a news story. So this is a, a, a blog post by Laura Brockett Murphy, and uh, it says, It happened to me. Fifty Shades of Grey got my ex-boyfriend and I back together. And I'm just going to read a little bit of this just to see what you guys think, because that movie is the number one movie in America right now. Yeah. And I, I I don't actually know what it's about, but I, I from what I've heard and what I think it is about is basically male domination over a woman, a female. Basically, I think that's the whole idea that she submits to him. And, and obviously there's sex and all those things and, and, and BDSM and all those things that go with it. But I think it's that she submits to him is like the intrigue there. But anyway, uh, so it says, have you read Fifty Shades of, of Grey yet? I was sitting across from my college ex-boyfriend in a Starbucks near Times Square. In the politest, don't you remember I was an English major tone, I could muster. I responded, uh, no. You should, he said. It's good for women to explore their fantasies. And she raised her eyebrow. And then she goes on to basically talk about how they dated in college. And he and his and her relationship kind of emulated Fifty Shades of Grey and that he was pretty dominant over her and that she really responded that way and that she really liked it. And they broke up and she felt super empty and it was like the darkest time of her life. She even met some really good guys after him, but she always felt empty. And after they met again, stumbled upon each other again in New York, they started dating again. And now their relationship is kind of, it isn't necessarily Fifty Shades of Grey, but he's more dominant to her and it made them get back together. Huh. So, so my question is, People are, people lose their minds 
over a Christian saying that women shouldn't do this or that, right? Like like male dominance of Christianity. But in this instance, where it's about sexual liberation, if you will, it's okay, and it becomes the number one movie in America, if not the world at some point right now. Um, and I, it's like the context is really interesting because it's like, oh, yeah, she will submit to this guy who's rich and powerful, and that's okay. But, like, the idea of submitting to Jesus is like, oh, that's... Or the submission language that we use with marriage and submission stuff that we might say at church or read at a, a marriage ceremony. Or even the topic of should women preach in church? You know what I mean? Like, 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 like that idea. Of like, hey, no, you, this is your jobs in church, and this is what you can and can't do. Like, like everybody thinks that Christianity is male dominated. The Bible's male dominated. It's, it's a masculine point of view. This isn't, and so it's interesting to me though that this this book comes out and it's not even that well written and it's very you know it's of course very sexual and that's probably the, the highlight of it but the idea of just being do- a, a female being dominated by a powerful male so you're saying the people the feminists that are that are uh that don't like the submission language of christianity also in order to avoid hypocrisy should not support this movie in all fairness, the feminists do not. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, it's kind of a little bit of a false thing because there are tons of people on all sides that do not like this movie. You know what I mean? It's not just the conservative people that don't. There's a lot of people and feminists no, but I mean, the majority, that don't. It, it, apparently the majority likes it. No, I'm saying there's uh, the, 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 the strong feminist movement that hates the submission language in the church also is, opposes this movie. Sure, but, 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 but my point would be, the overall population or, or culture that we live in. Just just take America for example. The the majority goes and watches this movie. Maybe even thinks some of it is good or healthy. You know what I mean? So so that's my only point. Why would a majority of people see this movie and go, okay? Uh, and obviously, once again, I think it's because it's sexual and it's just, you know it's risque and all that stuff. But my, but my point is, I think that people cause of religion would say way more like it's hurtful and awful as opposed to i i guess it's, maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong maybe people just as many people are talking bad about this movie but it sure is a huge hit yeah it's interesting i mean the, the thing that people are saying about it that is the real the real issue of course conservative people don't like it of course feminists on some extreme don't like it um but the issue that people are really trying to zero on in is whether or not having this be part of because we everybody knows everybody's looking at porn that we know so why is this movie a big deal and people say because it's taking pornographic type uh more uh idealized crazy sexual things and moving them into the mainstream and what does that say about our culture that's the big question is this like is our culture going off a cliff because now even things that are fringe sexual fetish are becoming mainstream so I don't know because, on the other hand, you couldn't sleep in the same bed together on network TV with pajamas on and say goodnight on Leave It to Beaver. And that's, I'm sure, what people said then. Like, well, we've just gone too far. Look at the TV today. And now they're saying, well, we've gone too far because this movie's in a regular theater. But we all know where people really are at is much darker than what we see and consume in mainstream media. So I think it's a pretty interesting question. I like seeing people lose their minds over it. It's interesting. All right, so Matt, I, well, hold on, Matt. Matt, do you think going to see this movie is bad? I mean, I, I mean, I I could only say person. I mean, I'd like to just say personally, I wouldn't be interested. No, no preface. Just I would not want my wife, wife to go see it. it. I want. I want to. No, I don't. I say let's not. If she wanted to, I would question that. I say let's not do that. I don't want to. Okay. I don't want you to. That 
I'm not going to go as far as to impose it on other people, but that's where we would have that conversation. And she might push back and say, why not? And we'd have it. But my first instinct is let's not go see that. Well, the reason why I had that conversation is because Jess and I had this conversation and she, and my wife just made such a great point of, I mean, is it really that big of a deal? Like nobody has a problem going to see an American sniper that's about killing people. You know what I mean? Like, like, like murdering people in a sense. I, I think he's a hero and all that stuff. I'm not, I'm not questioning our military or anything like that. But I'm just saying, like, there's tons of uh, – uh, take that out of the picture. Horror movies where people are murdered or devastated. Or you just see stories of uh, uh, other, like, immoral sexual no, I, I things I don't think it's happen. that crazy. I agree and, with you're you okay on that. you're okay with it. So, so – I agree with so you. So I just I wonder like like everybody takes a hard stance. Like I remember when Magic Mike came out, how crazy it was. Don't let your wife go see that; it'll lure yeah, her right, away. Right. But I really believe like if you're going to go see a movie that would lure you away, you're going to be lured away. You're just waiting for something to lure you away. It's not that all of a sudden you watch Magic Mike or Fifty Shades of Grey and now, man, I shouldn't have seen that movie because now I'm going to cheat on my spouse. Like nah, that's not the case. I think you're just like that, and you you use that as. Uh, you know, just a, a bank of, oh, this is why. All right, we spent plenty of time on this, but there's the one other thing no, about no, it. No, 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 hold on, hold on. Focus on the family plugged in movie uh, review. <laughs> Review it. <laughs> Can you believe it? They did a review it of it? Yes. <laughs> Conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, hey. who are the Christians that were like, we're going to sit through? I mean, listen to this. Listen to his conclusion. You guys just tell me when to stop. In Fifty Shades of Grey, in Fifty Shades of Grey's most brutal scene, Christian, driven by a compulsion even he can't understand, decides he must punish Anna. He forces the naked girl to bend over and begins hitting her with a belt, telling her to count as the blows land. One, she says softly after the first. Two, she sobs, tears streaming, and I'll skip a little bit. <laughs> Uh, when she reaches six, the punishment is over. She gets up, covering her breasts in embarrassment and humiliation, staring in horror at this half-man, half-monster she's so cared for. I'll skip uh, down. For men, it can push us towards fixation on dark and dangerous fantasies, and that's before even mentioning the nudity. For women, we're given the deceptive allure of an abusive protagonist who checks, it seems, many a literary fantasy box. A strong, good-looking, fabulous, wealthy, broke, broken man who needs to be shown what real love is. This is why Anna suffers such abuse. This is why so many of us are reading and watching, never mind whether the content contained in Fifty Shades of Grey falls short of or crosses over a legal definition of domestic abuse or pornography. But anyway, it just... Um, it's an odd time. It's an odd time with the domestic abuse issue. So, I mean, there are thousands and thousands of healthy couples who engage in whatever it is they do sexually. I mean, that, that, that they're healthy and balanced in marriage and everything, I'm sure, that engage in some of this behavior in their bedroom and it's fine. And there's the people that use this as a platform or excuse or, or gets them into people that are already abusive and abusers and women who gravitate toward being abused or being victimized or re-victimizing. So there's people that are going to use the movie for that. But there's also people that say, hey, it's not bad to use leather in the bedroom. It's fine. What is the draw from females Is it like to this movie? Is it sexual liberation? It seems like all females would be crying against this. I, I, I want to do a quick follow-up at the end of my news, and this is how I'm going to end it. But I looked on, uh, I, I, I was wondering, like, the dialogue from Fifty Shades of Grey, and on BuzzFeed they had the top 15 
uh, best or worst lines from the erotic bestseller. So I'm going to read just a few of them. Okay. Do you guys, I thought this was interesting. Number, number 14 was I close my eyes, feeling the buildup, pushing me higher and higher to the castle in the air. (laughs) (laughs) Number 12 was that's the bottom line. I want to be with him. My inner goddess sighs with relief. I reached the conclusion that she rarely uses her brain to think, but, to think, but another vital part of her anatomy, and at that moment, it's a rather exposed part. She keeps talking about my goddess and all this stuff. So I thought, <laughs> I'll, I'll read this one, and I think this is like, this is exactly all you need to know about this movie. This is a line from the book Suck me, baby. His thumb <laughs> presses on my tongue, and my mouth closes around him, sucking wildly. Holy fuck, this is wrong, but holy hell, is it erotic. <laughs> I, I love the silence right now. I, lo- <laughs> I have no idea where we go from here. I love the silence right now. That's what I'm saying. Like this is a book that somebody wrote, and it's a humongous movie. And I wrote, I, I just read a, an actual line from the book, and yeah, you should go see it or not. Yeah, I, I personally, uh, I. I'm always on the side of not making a moral issue out of any movie just because I've met dudes that, uh, you know, seem to be asexual with with um, physical attractions to male or female. And so I, I don't necessarily think, you know, the sexual part of it is a sin to any dude. But I would say for the most part, I just I don't know. I mean, I. I don't want to make a moral issue out of it, and I almost just am like, yeah, I just... I All right, real quickly, point. Matt, we're going to play a quick game, me and you. Okay. Is this from Joey Joey's bedroom or from Fifty Shades of Grey? Okay, I'm His in. lips are parted. Did Joey say this in bed? Or Christian Grey so this or Joey? Yeah, is this Joey or Christian Gay? Christian Grey. Her lips are parted. She's waiting, coiled to strike, desire, acute, liquid and smoldering, combust hmm. deep inside my belly. Now that does that sound sounds like Pastor Joey. It, it does Spence. sound a lot like Joey. <laughs> I've heard him use that language a good bit. It could be from his journal. So, but I'm going to go ahead and guess. Yeah, Pastor Joey. That's Pastor Joey, right? Nope, nope. Christian oh, Gray. Okay, let crap. me try one more. Okay, Pastor Joey or Christian Gray from Fifty Shades of Gray. Her expression pulls at the dark part of me. Buried in the depths of my belly, my libido woken and tamed by pepperoni. (laughs) 